0: Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. Well, we are in a, in a series that we are finishing up today on the book of Joshua. And if you have been following along, you would remember that last week we were in Joshua chapter 7. And today we're going to finish off the book of Joshua. Now, if you've ever read this book, you could be thinking, Pastor, there's a lot more chapters than just eight chapters, and you've only gone through seven chapters, so how are you going to finish this book today? Well, I'm going to quickly summarize chapters 8 through 13 for you real quick, and then I'm going to summarize some more chapters. Uh, Chapters 8 through 13 in the book of Joshua is... Basically, battle after battle after battle. Now, if you remember or recall, God had promised this land to the israelites this was the promised land that he had promised to father abraham and this was them coming into this land and conquering it and it is basically it it just goes it just shows battle they win victory after victory after victory and then you get to chapters 14 through 22 which i really thought about spending a lot of time in these chapters because these chapters are probably the most exciting chapters in the entire Bible. This is Joshua explaining the map and what Israel is going to look like um, in word form. So if you enjoy looking at maps, imagine trying to read a map and how exciting those sermons would be. We'd be reading the dividing lines of the 12 tribes of Israel. And I share that, but we are not going to be spending time in that. But if you want to be reading that, and you might be sitting there thinking, why would Joshua spend all of this time? Why would he spend so many chapters explaining a map? Like basically laying out boundary lines for each of the 12 tribes. Well, this was a very important promise that the Lord had promised. And that's why it is within God's word, but I will not subject you to the reading of the maps today. However, uh, we are going to be jumping to the end of the book of Joshua, and we're going to be looking at some of Joshua's final words to God's people. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 23, and please stand with me today. And you, you do have to be loose today, because we are going to read this entire chapter. It's only 16 verses, but uh, This is what the word of God says to us today. This is Joshua 23, starting in verse 1. It says, A long time after, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all of their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned. All, the, all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It, it is the Lord your God who fought for you. Verse 4. Behold, I have allotted to you an inheritance for your tribes, those nations, that Remain along with all the nations I've already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord had promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it either to the right nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord your God has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man... Of you puts to fight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he has promised you. Verse 11 Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnants of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them, so that you associate with them, and, and they with you know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and a thorn in your eyes until you perish off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Three more verses. And now I'm about to go about all the earth and know that in your hearts and souls, all of you, that know that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things the Lord your God promised concerning you, have been fulfilled for you. So the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. Let us pray. Father, we come to your word today. Father, I thank you for the life of Joshua. I thank you for the work and the example he has been to us Father, as we look to his last words, Father, come soften our hearts to what you would have for us today. We give you praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, if you recall, which I know all of you do if you were here this past fall, I was preaching on the life of Samuel this past fall, and and as we worked our way through the life of Samuel, we eventually got to Samuel's final words, which I'm wondering if you recall those. Probably not. Statistically, they say that uh, church people come to church and within two weeks you forget pastor's message, uh, which is a good thing for me because that means I can just keep preaching the same thing over and over and nobody will remember it here. But if you were here this past fall, we were looking at the life of Samuel, and we were looking at Samuel's final words as well, And, and it is fascinating within God's word is when you come across his leaders and their final words, and God's word actually records many of his leaders' final words to his people. Moses' final words, Joshua's is what we just read today, and Samuel's, and we even have David's, and we have so many of God's great leaders' final words. And it is, it is very interesting just to simply study them because as you look at them, you will see a theme. And one of my goals today is not to give you the same sermon I preached this past fall from Samuel's because they are extremely similar. As you read through and look at How God's people give their final words, it's very consistent, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. Joshua has a breakdown of his final words to God's people. Now, like what I said, Joshua had been leading God's people for many years. He had lived underneath Moses, Moses was was Joshua's leader, and then it got passed to Joshua. Joshua, you're going to lead God's people into the promised land, and that it was exactly what Joshua did. And Joshua led them faithfully. Joshua lived it out. But Joshua realizes he's getting old, and he calls the leaders together to give them one final command, one final, you could say, promise or warning to his people. And Joshua 23 we're going to start in verse 1 and just kind of go through this today. It says, "A long time afterwards when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all of Israel's its elders, its heads, its judges, its officers and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God" Who has fought for you. You can get this picture. Of a very old man. Because it literally says that. And I'm not trying to be age discriminatory here. The Bible just says that he was old. And he was well advanced in years. And Joshua gets the leaders together. And reminds them. Of what God has done for them. He says you have seen the Lord work. Over these past several years. You have seen him. Fight for you. And it is. It is so cool how he is saying to them, Don't think this was you. You guys are living in the promised land, this land the Lord had promised for you, but leaders, elders, this wasn't you conquering this land. You did not do this mighty work. It is the Lord your God who fought for you. He is the one who has brought you to this land. He has fulfilled his promise to you. He has driven out all of the people of this land. But Joshua reminds them of something, that the battle isn't over. They might be living in this land, but there was still work to be done, and Joshua was not going to be around for that work. In verses 4 and 5, he says this, He says, behold, I have allotted to you an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all of the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the Great Sea in the West. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. I I should have put a map up here, but if you ever look at the map of like Israel, it's valid today. If you jump on Google Earth and look at where the Jordan River is, and from the Jordan River all the way to the Mediterranean Sea is what he is saying here. He is saying, listen, God is going to continue to push out all of these nations there. These people will be pushed back. You will inherit the entire land. However, there are some contingencies. There are some, you could say, buts or ifs, as what he says here. In verse 6, Joshua 23, verse 6, Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. This is the most common phrase within God's leaders. God's leaders, when they look at his people, in some of their most final words, it's always very simple. Don't forget about the law of Moses. Do not turn from it. Keep the law of Moses. It was written for you, and you are called to abide with it. And then he says, do not turn from it to the left or to the right. Uh, you, you may or may not know this, but last week I played a song in the sermon, and I thought about playing another song today, but then I thought, no, nah, the people are going to think that pastors only plays music during his, his messages. But I, I just get this image in my head, and you guys may start to pick up on it, but you see him tell them, do not turn to the left or to the right, but he wants them walking dead straight. I'm going to let you guess what song I might be thinking about. He tells them to walk the line. The older people are laughing. He says to keep a close watch on this heart of mine. To keep my eyes wide open all the time. Keep the ends out of the tie that binds because you're mine. And he's called us to, the young people are really, really like, they're just like, what is happening here? Why does pastor always quote music? I'm telling you, when I'm working on sermons and when I read God's word, songs come to me constantly. And this is the image I get here. It's Johnny Cash playing this song and it's Joshua telling, say, listen, when it comes to the law of Moses, don't be turning from that. You need to be walking that line there. Don't turn to the right or to the left. But you've got to walk that line. So now after church, you should all play that song. But okay, I digress here. I'm not going to keep on talking about all the music that comes to me. One of these weeks, I will promise you this. I have so many song ideas that come to me while I read God's word that I, I really, really, really want to do a sermon series on different songs. Um, I don't know if you're going to stone me for that, if I'm going to get like hung afterwards. But I've been kind of holding off because I don't want to be the pastor that causes heresy here. But there's so many songs that you can listen to it, and it's like this is this is I can tie this right into scripture. But anyway, sorry. He gives them another warning, verses seven and eight. Back to Joshua 23. First warning: Keep the law, walk the line. And he says this, he says that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their God or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. Just you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you've done to this day. Joshua gives them this warning. And and I just have to remind us of where God's people are. So this promised land wasn't just a deserted land with nobody living in it. It's not like God said, I've I've got a promised land for you and you're going to inherit this, this promised land and there was no one living there. There was a lot of people living there. There was cities, they had been built and you had the Canaanites and all of the Ittites and everyone was living there and Joshua gives them this warning. When you take this land, as you are living in it, I got this warning for you. The culture that you are about to be living in Because there was already an established culture there. They were a pagan culture. God warns them, you're going to live there. But do not even think about the cultural gods that are there. And I've preached on this a thousand times because because honestly, church family, this this is like one of the biggest themes within God's word. You live in a culture and God says, Do not abide in that culture. Do not go down the cultural roads that your world lives in. You have cultural gods. Do not bow down to them. In fact, don't even mention them, Joshua says. Do not swear by them. Do not even, like, don't don't do anything with them. Like, get rid of them. Do not turn to these cultural gods. Do not trust in another system other than your God is the ultimate calling. We don't trust in systems of man. We don't put our hope and our faith in Washington. We don't trust what this world has to offer. The calling has always been God's people trust in him. And Joshua warns them, don't even go down that road. But he says, but cling to the Lord your God. You get this just image here of God's people hanging on. To him in the midst of their culture. And Joshua warned them do not mix with them. Now, that one I I think it's important for us just to kind of think on real quick. What does it mean to mix with the culture around us? Now, the most common theme, or the most simplest way, would be within marriage. That, that warning happens from Moses like right away. Like listen, you even see that back in like Abraham's time, which if you read those stories, you're like, well, why does Abraham's son have to go get a, a wife from his own family? That seems kind of weird, but it's like we, we don't want you to mix with these cultural gods. And then he goes on and he says, The Lord is going to continue to do a work. And the Lord that you serve is bigger than the people had had even seen. In verses 9 and 11, it says, For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to fight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he has promised. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. He reminds them the Lord has been fighting for you. Don't even mix with these nations. Don't even bow down to their gods. Don't even go down these roads because the Lord has been fighting on your behalf. And this is how great God is. He, he says one of you is like a thousand of them. And it's not because you're that great. It's because the Lord your God is that great. He's the one who who has literally been fighting on your behalf. And then he says to love the Lord your God. Be very careful in verse 11. Those of you who have been in church probably know that that is the greatest commandment God has ever given us. Matthew 22 They come and they ask Jesus, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. Joshua is reminding God's people once again the greatest calling for his people is to simply love him and to cling to him with everything. But Joshua also gives them a choice. Look at verses 12 and 13. This is where the choice comes in. For if you turn back And cling to the remnants of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. They shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your side, thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this ground that the Lord your God has given you. It's this warning. Cling to the Lord. Joshua says, love him, cling to him, hold on to him, abide in him, obey him, do whatever you can to be with him. And then you you see this warning. And the warning is very, very simple. If you marry into the cultures, if you buy into the culture that you live in, know this, you will become a divided person. That's ultimately what he is saying here. They will be a thorn to you. They will be a snare. They will be a trap for you. If you buy into the culture that you live in, this is the warning. And Joshua says, listen, if you go down that road, God's protection is gone because you're no longer trusting in him. You are now trusting in the systems of man. And Joshua just simply warns them, be true to him. You can't serve both. Now, I've said this a thousand times, and I say that line a thousand times, and then you're going to hear it another thousand times. Guys, as you read God's word, this is like the most common theme. Love the Lord. Don't marry into the culture. Don't buy into it. Don't bow down to it. Don't go down that road. Cling to him. Obey him. Do whatever you can to walk with him. Obey him. And then there's this warning. If you don't, Okay, there's, there will be consequences. God's protection gets lifted. They're going to become a trap for you. You're going to be snared up with them. It won't be good. Life won't be good. And this is like God's people over. It's this vicious cycle. They love him. Then they buy into the culture. They abandon him. Hard times come. Then they come back to him. And this is the constant, constant cycle. And Joshua is saying, make sure that the Lord is your only love. Make sure that to the core of who you are, that the Lord your God is the one who you truly love. Don't love anything else. Don't, don't even chase after anything else. Don't even mention these other gods. Now, I was thinking, how do we apply this to our lives and I've already preached this sermon probably a hundred times from this pulpit that because this is the constant theme within God's word. But what I was thinking this week is these are Joshua's final words to God's people. And then this thought has been running through my mind all week is what do we want our final words to be? Joshua's final words are almost identical to Moses, which is almost identical to Samuel. And it's just cling to the Lord your God serve him and serve him alone and then not to be morbid but i don't think we ever think about what our final words want to be maybe some of you have already thought about that and not picking on age once again but you might be sitting there thinking well do i ever think about what i want my final words to be i don't think most people think on it i think it just becomes a natural overflow of our heart at that time if you've ever been alongside a loved one in their final days, I don't think they're sitting there thinking, well, I want these final words. I think it's just an overflow of who that person is. Within Joshua's life, this was an overflow of Joshua's heart. Joshua had seen the Lord do some amazing work. And Joshua, Joshua knows it's all about hanging on to him. Don't hang on to these cultures. Don't. Don't even go down those roads. This is just simply, I believe, just an overflow of who to the core Joshua is. But then I was sitting there thinking, what do we want our final words to be? If you had, and if you knew, my time on this side of heavens, is getting closer. What do I want my final words to be to those around me? And I, I just don't think we actually think about that, because, like I said, I think it's just an overflow of like who we are. There will be a day when we all say our final words. I'm not trying to scare you today, where you're all getting nervous, Pastor says, "I'm going to die. You are going to die. Okay, that's just a fact. Uh, we, within our family this past week, a young man just passed away, age 42. Suddenly. Unexpected. But do we ever think about what do we want our final words to be? I want to share a quick story because this story was inspirational to me as I think about final words. Has anyone here heard of the Scotsman John Harper and his final words? I saw one hand. I see that hand. <laughs> I'm just messing. Don't even lift up a hand once pastor says it. Well, I want to share with you who this man was and some of his final words. Harper had spent three months ministering at Moody Church in Chicago, during which time the church had experienced one of the most wonderful revivals in its history. But he was from Scotland and he had headed back to Britain and was not there long when the church in America asked Harper to come back over here. He quickly made arrangements for himself and for his six-year-old daughter, Nana, to travel back to America on, the, on board of the Lus- Lusitania. However, he decided to delay his departure for one week so that he could sail on a new ship, the Titanic. On Sunday, the 14th of April... Uh, 1912 the day when the iceberg was struck the weather was fine and the sea was calm harper attended the church service for the passengers his niece reported that later that that afternoon she saw her uncle speaking individually to people about their souls it seemed he was in the habit of seeking out the lost sheep wherever he went The Titanic struck the iceberg at 11.40 p.m. on April 14, 1912. As the call was issued for passengers to vacate their cabins, Harper wrapped his daughter in a blanket, told her that she would see him again one day, and passed her to one of the crewmen. After watching her safely aboard one of the lifeboats, he removed his life jacket and gave it to one of the other passengers. One survivor distinctly remembered hearing him shout, women, children, and the unsaved into the lifeboats. Harper knew that believers were ready to die, but the unsaved were not ready. Harper then ran along the deck, pleading with people to turn to Christ. With the ship sinking, He called upon the Titanic's orchestra to play Nearer My God to Thee. Gathering people around him on deck, he knelt down and with holy joy in his face raised his arms in prayer. As the ship began to sink, he jumped into the icy water, swam frantically to all he could, beseeching them to turn to the Lord Jesus and be saved." Finally, as hypothermia set in, John Harper sank beneath the waters and passed into the Lord's presence. He was 39 years old. Four years later, a young Scotsman by the name of Mr. Webb stood up in in a meeting in Hamilton, Canada and gave the following testimony. He said, I am a survivor of the Titanic. When I was drifting alone on a sparer that awful night. The tide brought Mr. John Harper near me. Man, he said, are you saved? No, I said, I am not. He replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The wave bore him away, but then strange to say brought him back a little later, and he said to me, are you saved now? He said, no, I cannot honestly say that I am. And he said again, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And shortly after he went down there alone in the night and with two miles of water underneath me, I believed and and I was John Harper's last convert. John's final words. Now this is an amazing story. But I think about the church and I think about us. And I think that our final words truly are an overflow of, of who we are. As this ship is going down, John Harper had one thought and one thought only. There is unsaved people on this boat. They need to hear the gospel message. The calling for God's church has always been to call people to be faithful to him and the calling for us church family is to bring these words and this truth to this world. Now I don't want us to wait till we die to finally, you know, share with our loved ones, you know, as they're all laying around us, we finally say, "Well, I need to tell you about who Jesus is." But our final words as we think about this life. Like I said, It's just an overflow of of who we are. For John Harper, Jesus was his everything. He had trusted in him. He had believed in him. He knew him. And he knew that it was by Jesus' name that men and women can be saved. And I think it's important for us as a church to really think about that. What do I want my final words to be? Who am I? how do I want to live this life out? I don't think that we should wait until we are finally dying to finally tell someone the importance of who Christ is. But I do think it is important for us as, as we re- read God's word and, and, and as we, we, we come across these, these final words constantly for us to be contemplating and thinking, Lord, what do I want my final words to be? As I think about my own children, as you know, I've got three. My final words are not going to be, I hope you, you have a good and happy life. I don't care about happiness. I don't care about if they have money. The final words are, do you believe in the Lord Jesus? Do you know that he is the one who can rescue your soul? Do you trust in him? Do you love him with everything? It's very similar to what Joshua says. says, Well, I share that with you, not to make you feel convicted today, but for you to maybe contemplate that. Lord, what do I want my life to be? Who do I trust? Who do I love? Do I love you? Am I abiding in what Joshua has said? Lord, do I want others to know who you are and what you have done for them? And then, Lord, help me to to just simply live out those words. You know, Jesus has some final words as well. And I think it's very fitting that today is Communion Sunday. I want to read read to you Luke 22, and I'm going to invite the worship team up as I read these words to us this morning. This is Luke 22, verses 14 through 23. And when the hour came... He reclined at the table. This is the night before Jesus was about to die. And the apostles with him, and he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given things, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you. It is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me, is with me on the table. Some of Jesus' final words to his people was when we come together, when the church gathers, that we should have a time of remembering who he was and what he has done. Joshua had pointed out to, to God's people, this is what the Lord has done for you. He conquered this land. And Jesus' final words are, this is what I've done for you. That I came. That I laid down my life for you. And you've got two elements in your hands. And Jesus even says this. He says, this bread. This bread represents the body of Christ. His body was beaten for us. It was broken for us. And the juice represents the blood of Jesus. The blood of the new covenant. The blood that's poured out because of our sins. And it wipes our sins away. I want to pray and... Um, I think I'm going to have the worship team lead us first, though. I'm going to pray and then have them lead us and then we're going to take communion because I think it, it's important for us, church, to really contemplate communion. For us to be thinking about what Christ has done, what the Lord has done for us, and to truly remember him today. Let me pray and then I'm going to ask for you to, uh, to a stand after, I pray, and then we're going to sing and worship and then take communion here. Father, I praise you, Lord. Father, I thank you for the work that, that you have done on our behalf. Father, I thank you for your son Jesus, for his death on that cross, for his resurrection life that we get to walk in. Jesus, you came and you suffered for us. Jesus, you are the greatest gift to mankind. Today, Lord, as we sing, as we think, Father, help us to remember what you've done, how you've paid the price for all of our disobedience and our shortcomings and our sins. Father, I praise you for the work that you have done. Lord, help us to be a people that always remember who you are, the work that you have done for us.